0: Where do you head after all the clubs close? A pirate radio station tells you now, and thousands of strangers jump into hundreds of cars and start driving towards an unknown destination in the dead of night. You know the police are watching, but you don't care. All that matters is you make it there before the doors shut so that you can drop half a knee. Once inside, it's dark, and all you can hear is people talking. And then a single light shines on the needle, and you hear that scratch on the record, and you know you're sorted for an amazing night to rave in an abandoned warehouse until the early hours of the morning.
1: In today's episode of My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast, we will be looking at how ecstasy changed the face of the drug scene in the UK back in the 1980s as we review ecstasy, battle of the rave. Welcome back, James.
0: Welcome, welcome. How are we doing, Alves?
1: All good, all good. Although I do have some bad news.
0: Oh no, what's wrong?
1: I have to take my fur babies back to the shelter tomorrow because I'm going back on the road and they've not been adopted.
0: (laughs) No, so all those those posts and all the pictures Mm. you've been putting up haven't done...
1: Everybody wants a kitten, James. Nobody wants a two-year-old cat.
0: I feel like you might have tapped all your resources in early... It being such a small town.
1: Everybody already has a dog or a cat or a kangaroo.
0: <laughs> and I um, just imagine any of your friends that didn't up there would have one because of you. <laughs>
1: oh, for sure. Yeah, they definitely would.
0: Oh, uh, no, but um, how, how have they been doing? Are they still scrapping?
1: They do scrap a little bit, but they kind of tolerate each other a bit better now. So hopefully they've had a good month here with me and they won't hate me for giving them back.
0: Hey, if, if things ever change and you're looking for a new career, You might be able to be a bit of a pet whisperer, like. Oh,
1: I'd love that job. People could
0: bring their animals (laughs) to you and then you could sort them out in a month and give them back and and they'd be a little bit better. My
1: dream job. My dream job. Yeah. How about you, James? What's been going on in your world?
0: Uh, This week's been really quiet for me, actually. Yeah, not a lot happening, but this weekend we do have my niece's birthday that we're looking forward to. So if I come back with any injuries next week, it's because I overdid it at Inflatable World.
1: Ooh, what's Inflatable World?
0: Yeah, right. I'm assuming it's one of those, she really wants to go there, uh, but I'm assuming it's one of those blow-up parks that are on the water. Oh, cool. You wear a life vest and you run and do the obstacles, and me and my other sister have decided that we're going to be the, the the two adults to join them on the activity because obviously pregnant ladies can't so Jenna's out and yeah I think it just leaves me and my, my one sister to be out there and I think we're going to own it.
1: Well oh, <laughs> James I think you're there to supervise the children not to then dash around yourself and bounce into the water you are there purely as a supervisor.
0: I thought I was there as an instructor showing them what they could and no, <laughs> what James. they could and should do. <laughs> No. Yeah, touche, yeah, yeah, and, and and with the right weight deployment, quite high, right?
1: Yes, so be careful.
0: I will, I will. Oh But yeah, no, looking forward to it, it should be really heaps, heaps of fun.
1: And this week, James, we were reviewing Ecstasy, Battle of the Rave by BBC Radio 5 Live, hosted by Chris Warburton and... Bloody hell, what a podcast.
0: Blow my whistle. Bitch. <laughs> I feel like that's not even rave music. I feel like that the, the the 80s ravers would be looking at me like that's not rave music. You don't I th- know rave I think music. They would. But this podcast was brilliant. If you ever wanted to know who was the first person to bring a whistle into the nightclub mm-hmm. and uh, and get the party started. Uh, if you ever wanted to know where your parents went clubbing back in the 1980s, like, this is the podcast for you. It, it is such a, an awesome dive into yeah, how ecstasy hit the UK and it just really opened my mind. I had no idea that the ecstasy scene had started like that. I, I always thought that drug dealers... And gangsters were the way that drugs made it into the scene. And this presented a fully different perspective to how Mm -hmm. this particular drug, anyway, hit the UK club scene and rave scene.
1: And I think something that Chris did phenomenally well was his access to the people who, back in the 1980s, changed the face of it so some of the people that he's speaking to were absolutely instrumental in the rave scene and how drugs were being brought over by Amsterdam how they were being distributed and Uh,
0: the way Ollie just said Amsterdam that is the way in which the accents in this podcast are so colorful you've got Manx you've got Scousers you've got Scotsmen, you've got (laughs) Irish like the accents add so much color to this podcast and I think if someone else tried to tell the exact same story in an American accent or an Australian accent or even a Kiwi accent, we would have done nowhere near as much justice to the story because the accents just add a whole nother layer and and make the story all that more interesting and and, and engaging. So you you hear about the, the first person to head to the States And what was happening with ecstasy over there and how they were using it just at people's homes to kind of bring friendship circles closer together. I I was thinking that.
1: (laughs) I had no idea that ecstasy used to be legal in the States and they were giving it out during marriage counseling sessions to try and bring these two people together in a loving way.
0: (laughs) One of the women in the podcast talks about her circle of friends in the United States that would have a few drinks on a Friday night and take some ecstasy and sit around and kind of just get closer together. I was like, mm, sure, you're not talking about orgies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I'm sure, there's a name for that.
0: But yeah, so you've got this, this woman who's gone over to the States. And I think this again paints a really awesome picture talks about her experience with ecstasy over there and then her surprise when she comes back and sees how it's being used mm-hmm. in the UK. So you, you bounce around from country to country in this podcast to different parts of the UK as well, hearing what was happening mm-hmm. with drugs in those particular cities or shires or towns.
1: It may be a bit homesick hearing all the different accents and some of the towns that they're referencing in the motorways, I can remember mm. all of those um, from obviously, I've only been in Australia for nine and a half years, so I will always remember them. However, I was definitely more of the pop scene, so I was not part of the acid house movement, although I do know people that were. And I just had no idea how drugs changed nightlife as a whole because I can remember nightclubs and some pubs mm-hmm. being quite violent where people would come in sober drink 10 pints and then by the end of the night it was fairly standard for people to get in a bit of a scrap and the police to show up and it was fascinating to hear about how all that disappeared in these particular clubs that people were now taking ecstasy because it is known as the love drug and people I love more, you bro that's it. they were more interested in being close to one another and friendly to one another and empathizing as opposed to having a fight and i think that's something that is overlooked sometimes when we talk about alcohol that alcohol is a although it's legal it's one of the most dangerous drugs it causes so many mm. problems in society and although ecstasy itself causes a lot of problems initially when it first broke into the uk the police left it alone because they just thought well this is making our life easier because people aren't fighting anywhere near it wasn't illegal
0: at that point right they hadn't put any laws in place around it Mm. so it was just this thing that had changed the clubbing culture in in the uk at that time and yeah it it did make me really think about someone described it really well on the podcast when he talked about well most people go out to town because they want to pull um and if they're if they're trying to pull the same person, yeah. then it turns into a fight. Um, but most of the time you just end up going home by yourself, grabbing a kebab and cranking my mouth you get... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> And I was like, It's so true. And then he's like, But then you chucked ecstasy and ecstasy into the mix and all of a sudden it was like, I love you, man. Like you're my you're my best friend <laughs> Like yeah. every everyone just wanted to be close with one yeah. another. So what what this podcast does really well is Without trivializing it, it it looks at both sides to the argument around the impacts of drugs, whether they should be legal or not, what kind of harm or damage they're doing. Because you you are hearing from some people who were talking about ecstasy in the 1980s, which is a very different product from what we understand to what they're actually Mm. talking about, to, to what ecstasy might look like or MDMA might look like for people in 2021. And they were talking about it being a very pure product mm-hmm. back then, and not cut with anything, and not having dangers of X, Y, and Z being put into it. You hear, you do hear through the podcast through a bit of rose tinted glasses this nostalgic view on the rave scene, yes. and we'll, th- that's what they refer to it as, and ecstasy being a part of of the rave scene in the nineteen eighties. Yeah,
1: and particularly because the way the podcast is structured, it's part of it is a documentary, real life half of it are fantasy stories, which I thought were fantastic. And I know why they're so good, because they were written by Danny Brocklehurst, who is also the writer of Shameless. And that really painted a fantastically rich picture of what it was like to be a DJ in the 1980s and what it was like to be a drug dealer oh, they in the call 1980s. Oh,
0: they call them the entrepreneurs, Ollie, not, not drug dealers.
1: <laughs> oh, the entrepreneurs. And what's really fascinating James you know one of my neighbors is now a DJ or used Mm. to be a DJ in Ibiza and I just find this side of life because I never really experienced the rave scene so fascinating because the idea that people would take a chemical substance to change their reality for me was never appealing I would much rather change my reality so that it induced a different chemical release in my own brain naturally, rather than a synthetic high, if you like. And I just find it so interesting to hear from people who were so open and so honest about why they did it, how they experienced it, how their life changed because of it. And I'm still sitting on the fence. I don't know whether drugs should be legalized or not. I probably do lean on the side of legalization. I'm a libertarian at heart and I think people should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies. However, those stories every other episode, I think just added something extra to the podcast that we often don't get with documentary style podcasts.
0: As Ollie mentioned, each episode of the documentary uh, introduces you to another layer of the rave scene or ecstasy in the UK at that time. And then...
1: And narrated by super famous people like A. Dedman. Yeah, so,
0: so these amazing voices bringing these characters to life, then sit in the middle. And what they do is they give more detail and colour around some of those characters that you're introduced to each episode. So, as Ollie mentioned, in one of the episodes, you're introduced to one of the drug dealers himself. And then in that fictional episode, you're then introduced to an 18-minute version of that character. And then in another episode, you're introduced to a woman who is just a functioning mother um, who...
1: Just a functioning mother.
0: No, no, you're introduced you're introduced to like a functioning mum who's got kids and who used to be really big in the rave scene once upon a time. And then the fictional episode talks about this Mm -hmm. lady who's got kids who says – but if you gave me an E right now, I would take it. I would bite your hand off to grab, to grab it. Yeah, like I'd bite your hand and, off. And so, yeah. yeah, you just get a lot more detail and, and colour because he's obviously bringing together lots of people's stories into into one character.
1: It was interesting to hear that side of the ecstasy scene where people talked about it in such favourable terms because when I was growing up, for me, ecstasy equaled death because I can still remember very vividly the pictures of poor Leobet's on the newspaper
0: that was that was 95 wasn't it yeah oh
1: yeah yeah Yeah. that was yeah the mid 1990s and I can remember the pictures of her with the tubes coming out of her and the doctors saying her brain swelled and her parents then turning the life support machine off and just the devastation and for me there was never any question would you take drugs it was just a straight no way why would you ever do that to yourself But it was really interesting to hear from people who, now that they're adults, are talking about how ecstasy changed their life and changed their relationships, and they still talk about it as some of the best nights of their life. And they wouldn't change it for the world. One of the
0: women in the podcast actually says, this actually has made me quite sad thinking about these things and, and the fact that we'll never yeah. have that ever again. So I, I want to sort of flip it over for a second because obviously my introduction to all of these kind of drugs happened in New Zealand, which was so far away from the UK. Mm. And I feel as though we got a really watered down version of maybe what was happening over there. Like with anything, right? I think people yeah. might have gone to the UK, come back and then thought, how do we get this kind of stuff happening in New Zealand and, and raves and whatnot? Yeah. But a big thing that happened in the early 2000s was this idea of creating a legal high. So you had all these manufacturers making drugs that were similar to the drugs that were out there, like ecstasy and whatnot, but doing it, so changing the molecules just so slightly so that it was obviously something they could sell over the counter. And you had all these legal high Mm. stores popping up on corners where nightclubs and stuff were, and they would sell these bottles of pills that were replicas Bloody of, hell. you know, ecstasy or other drugs that were out there. And I remember me, animate of mine, would go out like in our first kind of clubbing days when we were like 18 and would have these kind of well, I think they were called charge pills back in the day. They made you charge. Um, <laughs> but,
1: but you'd, you'd, you'd James, a, I feel uh, like you don't need that.
0: I know. I know. Well, this is the thing. All it made me do was grind my teeth because, <laughs> because I, I would have this bottle that we'd take out to town and you start obviously with one and then your tolerance would kind of pick up and then you could be having like six of these in one night. And all it what? I feel like all it made me do was sweat profusely. <laughs> and grab my teeth so oh
1: my god but did you have like the depression on the tuesday that some of the people who had ecstasy talked to in this podcast genuinely
0: can't really remember to be honest like because this is the thing when you hear about people that were doing ecstasy in the 1980s all they were having was water like they'd go out and have water and have one of these pills Mm. and that would all be all they need but we were having this in combination with alcohol on on a Friday oh and my Saturday God, night, like
1: six of them, six charge pills. <laughs> yeah. <Yes.
0: laughs> Expense. <laughs> oh, and that is another thing about this podcast: the music that you are exposed to. You're, oh, so it, good. It's done in such a way that they don't ever just play the music and no one's talking. The music will come in in the background while someone's talking about a story and they've used it to really add to the story in the way that it's being told. But it, it gets you at a subconscious level, I reckon. And you're sitting there nodding your head mm. while you're while you're listening to someone tell you the story. And my head was kind of bopping. I was like, all the tunes felt really familiar. And I think th- th- we have to yes. maybe tip our hats back to this this era because a lot of the music that was made and being played back then i reckon this had massive influence on the music that we listen to today
1: yeah without a doubt phil collins i had no idea he was so big in the rave scene in like the acid
0: house in the air <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a lot of light and shade in this podcast so you go from somebody talking about this really favorable experience on ecstasy to then hearing from uh, a young lady called Lisa, who's describing the death of her best friend, Janet, when she was 21. And James, I had tears rolling down my face listening to that story, particularly when I found out that the family of Janet didn't blame Lisa or the boyfriend who'd given her the ecstasy pill, and they seemed Mm. so pragmatic about the death, and they said well, nobody forced her to put the pill in her mouth, she took it, and I just thought, the strength it must take to view your child's death with that level of empathy and forgiveness was just outstanding and i was like i said blubbering all the way through that episode
0: yeah well i I think another layer to it is that the friend was actually living
1: yes lisa was living with janet's family
0: yeah yeah like so she's living with the family at the time and has to go home and tell the parents to their face what's happened to their daughter. I can just, yeah, it was it was a real, and there are highs and lows in this podcast. You'll be cracking up laughing as Ollie's talking about. You'll be you'll be crying at certain points. The, the Light and Shade has done really, really well. And another reason why you need to, to get this podcast on your list yeah. and, and, and listen to it ASAP. Yeah.
1: And James, in your opening, you talked about these, convoys heading towards these warehouses so could you just tell our listeners a little bit about what that was why people were doing that
0: yeah so another character that you're introduced to through the podcast is the entrepreneur and I think what people started to see as ecstasy and these raves started becoming more and more popular is that at two o'clock no one wanted to go home like no one wanted to like finish up right now and head home because they still all these
1: buzzing, chemicals off the buzzing
0: through your system, right? Yeah, um, there's heaps more water to be drunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 they saw this opportunity to then give these people pouring out onto the streets somewhere else to go and make a bit of cash from it. So they decided that they were going to start making these raves, and you couldn't have them at legal clubs because Mm-mm. that wasn't wasn't able to be well, done. Well, the
1: license so, was only till two, so then it was kick out time.
0: And you needed to find somewhere else to go. And this entrepreneur got the idea that if we found places that were being.
1: Like an abandoned abattoir.
0: Yeah, an abandoned abattoir, an abandoned warehouse, or even what they were doing at some stages was finding new buildings, which they actually was was their preference, finding new buildings that were just waiting to be leased or to Mm. be let. And getting in there, they could set up their system in a matter of like, Minutes, like they were talking within within the hour, they could have everything sort of set up ready to go. And as these raves started to get bigger and bigger, they started getting mass followings and obviously thousands of people thousands wanting people. wanting to know where, where do we go. Now, obviously, this drew the attention of the police because they were breaking into you know random buildings. So they needed to get clever about it. And using this pirated radio station, <laughs> they would communicate to people here's where it's going down or jump in, jump in and follow this particular car. And they'd have these convoys of hundreds of cars driving as, as mentioned in the opening through the dead of night. None of them really knew where they were going. They were following a car. And here's where like it it gets even more like mastermindy when they knew police were in the convoy. Yes. And so what they'd do is they'd send like certain decoy. cars in a direction. Yeah. And it's like, if you were also one of the cars that were following that decoy, sorry, mate, <laughs> you're missing out tonight. But that, that decoy is driving in a totally different direction. And then the cars behind would pull off and turn a different direction and head, head somewhere else. And, yeah, you wanted to be there before the doors closed because apparently even if the police arrived – they'd close the door and still be able to rave in there for like three or four hours mm-hmm. um, until the riot squad came or, yeah. you know, until it sort of picked up. So just understanding that this is the links people are going to, to continue feeling, that high
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and charge on and, and have that music playing And The way they describe it The music hit them differently When the E was in their system They felt the beats And they, yes. they felt You know Connected And around people And very Very un safe yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. very not COVID friendly um, But yeah it, it, This podcast Is something you need to listen to To really understand And as I, as I mentioned In the opening What were your parents Up to In the 1980s If you lived in the UK Like What were What were people in Manchester and, and what not doing, um, if you've ever heard any rave music in your parents' CD collection, <laughs> you might want to have a conversation about if they've ever been to Club Hacienda or The Kitchen. Oh,
1: The Hacienda. Um,
0: or The Stuffed Olive It's yep. another one that the you sister, need to –
1: Yeah, and I, I remember when I was a student in Manchester, we used to go to the gay village rather than go out to other parts of Manchester because those were the most fun nights. And yep. Honestly, James, I must just live in a bubble because I had no idea that there was these drugs floating around. Because we were just, we were those people who were drinking half a lager.
0: Ollie's like, "Give me, give me the rib of vodka." Yeah, um.
1: it was just
0: <laughs> or a uh, warm pint. Yeah,
1: they're not. We don't drink
0: warm beer. I don't know
1: why you think that.
0: So yeah, th- I think this podcast will will really uh, open your eyes to all the different sides to this argument. Because, yeah, you do hear from police, you do hear from promoters, you do hear from dealers, you hear from victims, you hear from... Ravers. Yeah, you hear from ravers themselves, you hear from DJs. It, it is it is such a good podcast. To understand where this this kind of may have all started and the, the massive influence, I reckon, that what was happening back in the 1980s has had on 2021, Yeah, well, you know, on us today.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to learn as well about how... Party drugs are very different from some of the other drugs that we've looked at, James, like the fentanyl crisis, which Mm -hmm. almost impacts your everyday life and people want to take fentanyl every day, whereas ecstasy, it sounds very much like it was just a Saturday night drug and then people were not waking up on Wednesday and taking it. Yet, all these drugs are classified as being highly dangerous and I just don't know if they are all equally as dangerous.
0: If we can tie them with the same brush? Yeah.
1: I do think that Chris Warburton and the whole team at BBC Radio 5 Live did an amazing job bringing this podcast, Ecstasy Battle of the Rave, together. And we recommend all our listeners go away and listen to this podcast. It's a real palate cleanser in terms of it's a historical podcast and it's entertaining And it's quite educational, so it's quite different from what we normally
0: listen to. Awesome. Now, at this point of the show, I'm always interested to know, Oz, what else is happening in Ollie's good ear?
1: Well, James, you could probably remember that when we spoke to Chris Oak, who was the senior producer on the Hunting Warhead podcast, he told us that he was in the process of making another podcast. Mm -hmm. Can you remember the name of it?
0: Not the name, but I remember... I'm looking at him as he's telling me this in my head right now. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm working on this other podcast. Why are beauty queens in my head? That's not right. Oh, so for, lesson, uh, for our listeners who might be sitting there struggling like myself, well, what did Chris Oak recommend?
1: He was also working on a podcast called Evil by Design by CBC, and it was all about Peter Nygaard, who is the Canadian version of Jeffrey Epstein, essentially.
0: Oh, yes, 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 yes. And it was gone with the wind, but it's all coming back. <laughs> oh
1: god. wondered where you go with that line. i was like what is this uh yeah so this podcast is a very hard listen because i thought jeffrey epstein was a rotter but my god james peter Nygar takes it to the next level he is potentially the worst sexual predator of this century far outdoes bill cosby jeffrey epstein all the rest of them his level of access to young women and what larry nessa is
0: he on larry nessa level worse worse
1: worse and you get to hear from his children james who are also advocating for him to receive the harshest sentence which really speaks to how much of a weirdo he is and some of the things I don't want to go into too much detail and I would only recommend it to our listeners who have a very strong stomach because you are listening to some of these survivors who are back then they were young girls and they were brought into do a modeling gig because he obviously was a designer and before you know it he is controlling their diet because he needs their excrement to be of a certain type because he's into all the defecating on each other and all that really weird stuff yeah this guy
0: no no judgment if that's your if that's your thing (laughs) but like oh yuck
1: yeah He's been charged with arranging prostitutes to visit his 14-year-old sons when they came to visit. He's being charged with sexually assaulting children as young as eight, and he is, in my eyes much worse than a lot of the other sexual predators that we've looked at because he really was using his money and influence to avoid detection. So even though he lived in Canada, he would take people to his holiday home in, I think it was Barbados, because he knew that if you raped a Canadian girl in Barbados, she would have to report it to the Bayesian police for it to go anywhere. And when she came home, if she reported it to the Canadian police, they couldn't touch him. So he was doing that for
0: decades,
1: James, decades. A monster. He is a monster. Uh, But Evil by Design, a phenomenal, well done, Chris. Another amazing podcast. But just like Hunting Warhead, a very difficult listen.
0: Well, the ego listeners, if if you're up for the challenge uh, and have the stomach for it, Uh, We love Chris Oak. We love all of his work. Mm -hmm. So get out there and and listen to Evil by Design by CBC Podcasts. I am curious, though. We now know what's happening at Ollie's Goodyear. What have you got for us this week?
1: All right, James, another little test for you. I'm really testing your memory today, I know. Memory. So Josh Dean recommended a podcast that he had just finished listening to. What was it?
0: So, Josh Dean from Campside Media.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I remember the podcast that he couldn't tell us about. He told us, uh, like, he he was working on a podcast that he didn't have the name of. I'm assuming it's not that one.
1: Mm -mm. It's actually another BBC radio podcast.
0: I listened to this episode just recently too because I was was uploading (laughs) it. has gone
1: live today, James. (laughs) Come on, dude. What's wrong with your brain?
0: Um, It's obviously elsewhere. So fill me your nose. What did Josh Dean recommend?
1: It was called I Am Not a Monster. What's it about? It's about a lady who is accused of becoming an Islamic terrorist and the podcast has access to this individual and – it follows the FBI's search into her involvement and it goes back and forth, back and forth. You are going to love it. Josh said he loved it. I've absolutely been hooked listening to this podcast, James. And I think it's okay. quite unusual because I don't think we've done a terrorist podcast before.
0: No, I think we've talked about it in bits and pieces in some of the podcasts. They might have, you know, spoken briefly to it, but ne- never uh, explicitly. So, okay, great.
1: Yeah. 10 episodes, anywhere between half an hour and an hour each.
0: Mm-hmm. And where's it based out of?
1: So it's a BBC radio podcast and mm-hmm. the lady in question is from the United States, but then she's taken over to the Middle East and a lot of the interviews that are conducted with her are about her time in the Middle
0: East. Interesting. Okay, wow, cool. So okay, if you're up for the challenge, people, if you're joining us this week, we're going to be listening to I Am Not a Monster by BBC Is it one or four?
1: It's BBC Radio. It's a Panorama podcast, I think.
0: Okay, great. So um, we're going to be listening to that this week and we will be reviewing it on next week's show.
1: And James, have you got a final thought for us today?
0: I do have a final thought for us. I, um, through this podcast, was thinking about as great as certain individuals in the podcast may have made drugs sound back in the day, the fact that a lot of people are ingesting stuff into their system in 2021 and not really knowing what exactly they're putting into their body uh, because they've been cut up with so many different things. And even these synthetic drugs that are out there, I know um, a cousin of mine, for example, has been having some massive challenges with synthetic marijuana in, in New Zealand. It is horrible when it gets to that stage. And so looking at that side of it, I would just like to remind people and warn people that, for as great a time as some people might say that they have on these things there are equally as many people out there having massive challenges and and struggling with either addiction or the negative repercussions of these drugs in the system so just just be really mindful of what you choose to do
1: well said james A big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to this episode of My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast Reviewing Ecstasy Battle of the Rave. We'd ask that you all give us a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're listening to us, and it would be super special if you could also leave us a favorable comment.
0: It really does help other people find us. Now, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can do so on our socials. We are on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we love hearing from you guys. So send us a message, drop us a tweet, or slide into our DMs.
1: (laughs) Stop saying slide into our DMs, James. I hate that.
0: I know you love it.
1: I would much rather you send us an email at myfriendhasnever at gmail.com. A huge thank you to Jeff May for editing our podcasts.
0: And as always, a massive thank you to MJ from Multidesign for our theme music.
1: All right, James, I'll talk to you on the other side.
0: I'll talk to you on the other side, buddy.